Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus and we are going to be talking about internet shutdowns in Pakistan and what's the state of play right now. If you have been following events in the country in the run up to and the aftermath of the February 8th elections, you are pretty much aware that uh, curves to the internet, both in terms of uh, shutdowns, which happened, uh, for example, with mobile networks on election day, which is February 8th. Um, but even prior to that, and in the aftermath of the elections, there has been throttling of the internet, curbs on X, uh, slowdowns at VPNs, some VPNs work, some don't. So we're going to be talking about what exactly is going on right now with somebody who knows all about uh, the digital rights ecosystem in Pakistan and the broader internet economy, uh, Faria Aziz. Uh, she's co-founder of Bolo B and has been on the podcast a number of times to talk about tech regulations and the state of the internet economy in Pakistan before as well. And I figured that this was the right time to have her back on the podcast, primarily because we are now basically in, what, 15 days or so of consistent blockages uh, of X slash Twitter. I think February 17th is when this really began, but I was right before hitting uh, record here, both of us were sort of going through the net blocks timeline and we sort of see that basically since the end of December, there have been on and off curbs on the internet or different internet platforms uh, in Pakistan consistently. So it's almost like, you know, uh, if you grew up in the early 2000s or the early 2010s in Pakistan, the load shedding, it's kind of become like that kind of a conversation with the internet. So Faria, Thank you so much uh, for joining us once more on Pakistanomy. I know you're flying out uh, and, and have a lot going on, so we'll try to keep it short, but really thankful for you uh, giving us some time today. Oh, thanks, Azair. I want to begin with sort of like, you know, lay the foundations uh, for us in terms of uh, what is going on right now in Pakistan. We're recording this on Saturday, March 2nd. It's uh, about 9.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern in Pakistan. And... Is X accessible? Are VPNs working? What is currently the state of play with the internet in Pakistan? Well, X is still inaccessible. Um, and we know that a lot of VPNs have been blocked as well. And the internet speeds are terribly slow. So even when you do manage to connect onto the VPN, etc. So there's just... I mean, it, despite the fact that there are high court orders and we're seeing what's happening around the country with high court orders, right? Um, the executive is just not budging, um, will not. This to date, there is no clarification by the PTA. Um, and, you know, there's this constant back and forth interior ministry, go ask them, uh, PTA is not responsible. But the fact is that under the cybercrime law, the, the law through section 37 squarely rests responsibility on the PTA. So any disruption, any blockade is going to be done by the PTA. And the point was to hold them responsible, but nothing's coming from the PTA, right? So this is, um, we're now what, two weeks into this, uh, we've had disruptions. Um, there have been statements recently by the industry also flagging how um, this is obviously impacting because there is a whole a perception of Pakistan as a digital market, which you also wrote about, right? But it just seems as if nobody seems to care, at least in the decision-making corridors. Yeah, and I was just looking at the PTA Twitter timeline. Um, they haven't actually posted anything since February 19th. And even that February 19th tweet is basically about other stuff, uh, not anything related to what's going on. So yeah, they're basically 
silent. And then I was looking at sort of uh, communications from the caretaker government, either the information minister um, or uh, the IT minister who set very lofty targets uh, for IT exports in Pakistan. And ironically, all of them have been tweeting uh, while X yeah. has been blocked. So they have some good VPNs. I want to know what service they're subscribed to, because clearly that seems to be working. Uh, but you you mentioned that, you know, the orders of the high courts have been flouted as well. Um, of course, that there, there's a legal aspect to this, which you're uh, very much in the weeds of and aware of what's going on. But for the audience, sort of uh, help them understand what is going on on the legal side here. What are the various uh, uh, sort of uh, cases or petitions that have been filed? And what exactly have the courts said? For those of us who don't follow this day to day, just help us understand where the courts are at on this issue. Well, so look, let's look at two specific cases, right? One is the election day disruption and what happened prior to it. And uh, this was a petition filed by lawyer and also electoral candidate Jibran Nasser, who approached the court about um, the disruption so that election day, there would be no disruption yet. There were orders. However, we saw that on election day, mobile internet was switched off. Um, and uh, then we have... Uh, you know, X going down. And so there was another petition by various journalists, etc., cetera, uh, filed by lawyer Moiz Jaffrey. And um, despite court orders saying that, you know, one, they need to furnish a response, but also that they the platform should be unblocked, it hasn't happened. And there's no, like you said, PTA has not acknowledged. And on the other hand, we see, um, ironically, the IT minister, well, former now, speaking about how the IT industry is doing so well um, and he's using a platform that is not accessible. So obviously through a VPN and that the irony just doesn't strike anybody. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just different levels of absurd. Now, again, uh, we have previously, there was this um, cautious approach to the internet, et cetera. Right? I have seen that change. Uh, and I think the change, turning point was also when we saw the PUBG and TikTok bans and the recognition that, um, these platforms also have something to do with the industry. It's also a right to do business, a right to earn a livelihood argument, right? Because a lot of times when you place a rice-based argument, um, that doesn't fly. However, that, that there's been a shift in that as well, because when you look at courts, they're saying that they are acknowledging there are fundamental rights at stake here. There is arbitrary executive action um, which has been challenged. And so then they're not standing for this either. So the ifs and buts that we used to hear a lot more prior to this, uh, the YouTube ban, the Facebook ban, um, and scores of other bans, there's been a lot less of it, right? Because obviously, politically, um, it, there's a relevance there, and you have one of the parties using it the most um, and most effectively. Um, and obviously, there's a whole debate on how or what's done using those um Methods, but again, election rigging, and this is again uh, election day polling day uh, irregularities were being um, put out on X. And why X? I feel has been written because it's some it's sending out a message globally, right? You heads of state and governments and think tanks and everybody, political parties and everybody on on here, right? So it may not be um, a very popular medium. Um, it may not have the same number of adoption as, say, TikTok or others, but the relevance, the political relevance is there. And you're getting the message out and the world is watching what happened um, 
during the elections. And so you're just trying to limit it. And also what we saw, not just with the elections, but post sort of not to see irregularities, but then you have the political victimization that's continuing and the raids, et cetera. And you try and get your message out immediately through this platform. And also because when the person um, is putting out, there's also that instant verification when it's coming from accounts that you know belong to those people, right? So there's that uh, thing that sort of, so you break the chain as well. You're trying to limit and set roadblocks essentially. And you know, you went back to the nineties and the load shedding and that's being used a lot, but the internet right now is reminding me of dial up, honestly, like that's what we've gone up to. Where we're waiting to connect and waiting for the bars to load and for us to be able to gain access. Like that's what they've Yeah, and I think uh, that's the big concern, right? It's it's one of those things that we have. I see it in like a few different from a few different vantage points, right? One is the arbitrary nature of how they're acting. On top of that arbitrary nature, the main regulator, as you've elaborated, is refusing to even acknowledge or communicate to the public at large about what it is doing and why. The buck stops with them, but they've basically been silent for two weeks now and haven't said anything. Then there is the issue around the economics, and we'll get to that in just a bit about the internet economy. But then on top of it, there's also this issue around um, the fact that you're trying to solve for or keep at bay uh, an issue related to politics and allegations of rigging or whose speech you do or do not like in this environment. You're dealing with that issue, not by dealing with the issue itself, but by saying, it's a very traditional, like, you know, uh, you I remember it like reminds me of like growing up in a place like Pakistan when you're a teenager and you're rowdy and you're trying to use logic and arguments to sort of make your point. And the argument on the other side is not that I will rationally engage in a conversation with you. I'll be like, Tum chote ho baat nahi karo, chup ho jao. and I'm like, okay, that's like a, not a productive way to engage with somebody in a conversation. And I think that's what seems to be happening in Pakistan right now. Um, and then, of course, there is the issue around virtual private networks and their access um, and licenses, which goes back years. You followed this issue closer than most people in Pakistan as well. And I want to get your view on the VPN uh, debate as well, because the government, successive governments in Pakistan, the PMLN, the PTI, and now this one, um, which comes into power tomorrow, basically, the prime minister should get sworn in. Um, I think they're going to make a bid for this as well. But they've been trying to control access to VPNs and license them and block them. Uh, again, any clarity from a government communications or engagement point of view about under what rules and orders they're blocking certain VPNs right now? None at all. Um, and they don't seem to, again, you know, the, the concerning thing is nobody, um, and executive authorities, the PTA, the ministries, nobody feels that they're answerable and they're passing the buck, right? And that, again, like under what law? So even with the recent sort of action that we're seeing, the PTA is exercising its powers or the FIA, and that's a whole separate issue. Obviously, we're not discussing that in detail, but nobody is citing sections of law, uh, how, whether they're empowered or entitled to undertake this action or not, etc. And despite that, you know, the problem with how we approach law here is 
um, like the cybercrime law that it's been written into it. Now, Section 37 is an overbroad power, in my view, that's been written into it. So you copy paste Article 19 and Article 19, um, you know, there are certain restrictions which is freedom of expression for those who are not familiar with the constitution of Pakistan. So freedom of expression through Article 19, there are some restrictions, but those restrictions have to be imposed by law and those restrictions have to be reasonable. Now, the approach to law here is, we think that law supersedes the constitution. So once the law is written in and you can write the law and frame it in as vague a manner, which again, should not stand the test, but the problem in you know, putting laws to certain tests is that you look at the political environment, you look at the appetite of the courts, and then you also hesitate to uh, raise certain constitutional issues because you think that this is actually going to go in a different direction. So the most that we end up doing through litigation is challenging overreach, executive overreach. The substantive issues of constitutional sort of thinking and debates and, uh, you know, expansion of rights is something that a lot of citizens and uh, groups hesitate to take to courts. One, because of the political environment. Two, because you don't know that they may end up ruling, passing an adverse order, which is what you don't want. So you try and fight those small fights and that big fight is sort of parked for later. And when that later is going to happen, we don't know. So again, back to the law, PTA has consistently, if you look at transparency reports of Google and others, right, they consistently uh, cite powers available to them under Section 37, very broadly. And then they will cite different uh, sections of the law, uh, of PICA, right, of the cybercrime law. Now, one example, and this is what, this is their approach to um, blocking things. So there's one example had written a letter and it was on Google Drive and they were basically talking about shrinking spaces at education institutes. That's something the PTA reported to Google to take down as hate speech. Now, this is their construction and application of the law. Repeatedly, courts have checked them when petitions have been filed that it cannot be arbitrary. You have to give notice. It can't be, um, you know, you can't just um, block things um, completely. But none of these things stick. And the problem is that developed, none of this becomes a deterrence for them to exactly the same manner that they were prevented from doing through multiple orders prior to that. And that's the challenge here. But again and again, what we're doing is just repeating the same things. Uh, and the courts are also repeating the same orders. And we've not moved on uh, since a decade. It's the same cyclical and the when about VPNs and everything. So Filtering, and that's the other thing that they're trying to do, right? The web management system and the national firewall and everything. So this is now coming down to we don't want to just block the entire platform because then there's an uproar, not that they care at the moment. They want to block specific pieces of content on platforms, right? Because right now they have to make requests to the platforms. The platforms do always adhere. And clearly, we see why not because of the old broad kind of requests that they send. So they want to be able to do that through encrypted protocols as well, right? Which they're all based off of. Now, these proposals have been in the field as far back as I remember 2012, there was this um, tender for a national URL filtering system. Um, filtering technology has been purchased um, over the years as well. And there have been several reports and this has been uh, raised as well. VPNs have been blocked. So back when YouTube was blocked, uh, the question, and this is now 2013, 
uh, when the case was going on, PTA was asked that it's blocked, but can people not access it? Um, because, you know, young children and students can access it. Yes, via proxies. Now, they were asked, is it illegal? No, there's a very sort of wish-washy where it's not like they're going to go after you for accessing YouTube, right? But then we've also seen certain regulations uh, under the PTA Act and others. Um, and then they go after gray IPs and whatever, the gray trafficking, et cetera. And then VPNs, voiceover IP, they've tried to block various uh, in various instances they've tried to we've i remember skype uh whatsapp etc from time to time these proposals have also surfaced that we have to uh, block them and you know usually sometimes it's like oh because you can't um sniff into that communication because it's encrypted so you know terrorists use it so that's typically the narrative um and that's propelled so everything we're seeing now is just a culmination of things that we've sort of been hearing and seeing in various ways over the years, right? None of this is new. It's just them trying to uh, get it. And this I'm saying across successive governments, right? Um, back from 2012 to uh, now, whether it's a blanket ban, whether it's legislation, whether it's rulemaking, whether it's ad hoc um, use of powers, all of this we've seen consistently. And if you remember, you know, the previous uh, the PDM government with the data protection bill and the e-safety bills um, and the, the impact that those could have had had they been enacted as legislation. Um, and now that we have, uh, you know, the new government taking over, what we should not see is a revival of these bills. So, but I think that there will be, and maybe even more, um, yeah. Yeah, I, that's my fear and expectation as well. And and you said this there's like this is cyclicality and things haven't really moved. I think sounds like a lot of things in Pakistan work that way, whether it's the broader economy, politics, internet regulation, right? And I mean, at a time when the world and the region is looking at, okay, how do we uh, build an ecosystem for generative AI and large language models and regulate things like that. Very smart people like you are still busy arguing for VPNs, uh, which is a debate from 10 years ago. Um, and, 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 and that's the real tragedy here, right? And I want to, on the VPN side, use that as a segue to sort of get your view on where industry is at in this moment. And the reason why I ask is like, you know, when you mentioned the under the PDM government, the data protection law stuff came out, industry was decently vocal and engaged on this because it directly affected them. And you and I have talked about this offline as well, that, hey, if the industry thinks that this is not their moment to stand up because it doesn't really bother them because they're on wired connections and, you know, their platforms, Upwork or whatever, however they work, GitHub, et cetera, aren't being affected. So if it's X, let it be. Um, I see this broadly as sort of like a cause for concern. And I'm looking at sort of Fezan Siddiqui's tweet um, uh, about uh, this news article in Pro-Pakistani, I think is from the 29th of February, where Pasha says we're concerned about, uh, you know, bans on VPNs, uh, and this is going to hurt the industry. But then I, you know, Fezan is critical of what Pasha is saying. And I understand why, because I went to Pasha's Twitter. There is no statement from Pasha. This is just like a background comment to a news story. And I'm like, when 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 it is time to host the IT minister and talk about lofty targets and how amazing the minister and his team is, you post it on X and you're openly embracing it. 
But when it's time to critique something that is legitimately you yourself are saying, and at least to media commentary, to journalists that this is terrible, you don't have the courage to come out in the open and, and resist that and sort of say, hey, any any such curves where the PTA is silent and not explaining what it is doing and why is bad for the industry. What has been your view on how industry has behaved over the last couple of weeks when it comes to what's going on with regards to the internet? Well, the silence is appalling. Look, I understand that the industry has certain constraints as all industries do, and they're usually more careful and rely on back channel approaches and everything. But the thing is that there has to be a collective industry voice here. And you can't always expect other people to fight your battles because they are doing that. And it's not just for them, it's basically, you know, from a rights-based perspective, they were, they were more vocal. And again, not all industry, we didn't see Basha uh, give a statement even at the time of the data protection bill. So it was the Venture Capitalist Association and it was the AIC um, who came out with statements, right, about how this would um, impact the cloud infrastructure and the local startup uh, ecosystem, et cetera, and all of that. It's important to also do public messaging. It can't always be closed room conversations, backdoor channeling. When the internet is switched off, it does impact you. When there is a law like uh, Pika, it does impact you. And at that time, there was they were still part of that advocacy. And if I against... may interrupt you, just for those who may not be familiar, Pika is the Pakistan Electronic Crimes Act 2016 passed by the PMLN with, despite great opposition from people like Fariha and the broader community, um, many uh, warned, I think it was including your organization, the then government, that if you pass this, it will be used against you. And a couple of years later, that's exactly uh, what happened. And just one last bit on this, uh, just in terms of a historical tidbit, uh, the PTI tried to add more teeth to this draconian law. Um, the Islamabad High Court and the Justice Atar Menalla turned uh, around and said, no, you can't do that. It struck those provisions down. And lo and behold, soon thereafter, the PTI was out of power. And if Justice Menallah had not struck those things down, the PTI would have been on the receiving end of the even more draconian clauses it was looking to add to this law. Uh, so it is one of the original sins, in, in my view, at least on the electronic regulation scene uh, in Pakistan. So I just wanted to add that. But sorry, go ahead, Faria. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And just to add to that, um, the PTI is the one who introduces social media rules, which continue to be in the field because there's ambiguity about it. And network throttling was written into those rules. So, you know, the thing is that everybody, when in power, tries to restrict. But what they still don't understand is that laws and policies outlast their tenure in government. And the same laws and policies are used to target them. And they're quick to claim victimhood then. Um, and, you know, the persecution. But those who are victimized consistently are uh, journalists and citizens and academics who so are speaking to truth to power, irrespective of who, who the face in power, right, at the time. Um, so it's about policies. And this is something that we have to understand, that once a law is passed, it's very difficult to reverse the bad stuff. And this has exactly been one of the challenges with the cybercrime law, um, that amendments have only been fielded to expand its already draconian scope, not to limit it. The only limitations that we've seen have come from 
uh, courts and primarily the Islamabad High Court uh, under Justice uh, Azhar Manila. But beyond that, we've not seen that happen, right? Um, so this is one of the challenges. Um, so just, yeah, and right now, I mean, I know we'll get to that, but um, there's a resolution before the Senate that seeks to block Facebook and X and TikTok and all of that. So it's just, you know, when you were saying that it's cyclical, it reminds me of this um, phrase that a Nigerian colleague used to say a lot when whenever, you know, we were at these conferences, rights gone or something, that if there's bread, butter, and blah, blah, blah. That's where we're stuck at. I feel like Pakistan and Nigeria, like I, it really resonates with me because we don't get beyond the blah, blah, blah. Like that's the only thing. What to speak of AI and other kinds of, you know, what's happening. The only thing is we pick out these buzzwords and catchphrases. Now it's fake news and it's disinformation. And it's always a very, uh, it's a mindset, regulate and prevent it. Now in this also this resolution, they've cited it. And it just strikes me as, you know, this over-reliance on the law and policy to do all of this, right? Or just to block it. I mean, human beings commit crimes, right? Now we have a host of laws and our, we have laws like outdated, archaic 1800s, right? The penal code and whatever. Do laws stamp out the crime or the purpose of laws is to create a structure to prosecute, right? But with the internet, there's this sort of expectation that you just have to eliminate all the ill that exists. So it's, it's turned into this exclusively social media invention. That disinformation is some is something that has not persisted over, you know, human history. Um, that we haven't seen when there was a printing press or prior to that, that, you know, the word of mouth and how things used to travel and the consequences of all of that, or you know, television. But social media has somehow invented disinformation. Um, and and this is a thing with uh, social media. Obscenity is a social media invention. Disinformation is a social media invention. And all kinds of harms are a social media invention. And this is the mindset with which everybody approaches social media in Pakistan, the policy making in legislative circles, right? They've not expanded the remit of their thinking beyond this. They don't care to understand. Um, they only see the negative. They're not seeing the potential that exists. Um, and we have harnessed that potential, but not thanks to them. It's despite them yeah. that the industry has strides and you know uh the civil society and other structures but we're eons away from any constructive uh, dialogue you know here they say oh but why don't the companies come here why will they come here why when you without their presence what invitation are you sending out the internet will be blocked when we feel like it platforms will be blocked if you set up um offices here we can raid whenever we want we can without waters under the pika law without waters we can do whatever we want arbitrarily, illegally. Nobody can question us, but you should come and invest in Pakistan. Like, how does that work? Yeah, no, that's been the biggest issue. You alluded to this, uh, uh, you know, view that everything is uh, a new creation on misinformation and fake news. It reminded me of the fact that in 1971, the paper of record, English paper of record for Pakistan uh, Don was engaging in fake news, saying victory until the end. And the, on the eve of the surrender of Dhaka, that was the headline. So there was no internet, no fake, you know, social media trends or anything like that. But the paper, English paper of record 
was promoting fake news pushed by the regime of that time. So, you know, this has existed. Uh, and so your point reminded me of that. You mentioned this resolution. So this resolution is by Senator Bahraman Khan Tangi, uh, the former, apparently, uh, senator from the PPP. He was expelled um, at, as per news reports from the PPP uh, when he submitted a resolution urging the delay of elections uh, a few weeks ago uh, on the Senate website. He's still listed as a PPP senator. And in this resolution that he's tabled, he says the Senate of Pakistan, therefore, recommends to the government to put a ban on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, parentheses X and YouTube in order to save the young generation from their negative and devastating effects. It kind of reminded me about something that I think I've uh, tweeted about in the past as well. Um, per my conversations with uh, some senior folks and some folks who are adjacent to senior folks in Pakistan, some of the most powerful men in Pakistan, they're all men, um, that they view social media as shaitani media. Um, so this resolution echoes that sentiment. Uh, and we kind of know who Ms. Senator Saab is close to. So it's it's sort of like a, a, this resolution offers a window into the thinking of those uh, very powerful men in Pakistan. Um, terrible resolution to place. I hope I, I'm pretty sure it won't go anywhere. But this is where we are going, I think, as you alluded to as well, post elections with the new government coming in. I think there will be a lot of movement uh, on these types of additional pieces of legislation that were unaccomplished uh, a few years ago. Um, last question to you, Fariha, uh, on this whole saga. Um, where, uh, if you are a citizen who's concerned about these curves, you're affected by this, you're a freelancer, you're like, what the hell is going on? You're a content creator, you're like, hey, I get some traffic from X, I know a couple of friends of mine who are content creators who invested a lot of money. One of them is basically running a company. He's an entrepreneur with 30 people working for him full time. And he's basically sick and tired of this policy uncertainty. Um, what do you expect to happen uh, with regards to this in the next three months or so with the new government coming in? What should these people who have a stake in the broader internet economy in Pakistan be watching out for? And how should they engage with groups like you and others who are sort of on the front uh, end of like fighting the good fight, as I put it, in terms of a freer, more open internet in Pakistan? What should people care about in the next three to six months? Well, I, I think they need to play their part, first of all, right? And you can they can figure out how to do it, but we need to fill this vacuum of we need that crucial information. So what is the internet and what are these platforms being used for, especially by the industry or by entrepreneurial um, people, et cetera? And what is the impact that they're already suffering? Because unless you put this out, this information, it's always going to be the same kind of conversation, right? And you do need to put this on record. So I would say that helps immensely. We've seen to some degree, um, you know, some tweets, some people have put out how, um, you know, I think there was one particular tweet by someone who said that a Saudi company withdrew or took work away um, because of the recent closures. Right. So you and need if that. I, if I may interrupt you, because uh, kudos to them, I will uh, I will link to the story as well. Pi did a study and they said that Internet shutdowns in Pakistan have significant economic consequences. Their research shows that the 24 hour Internet blackout results in a direct loss of one point three billion rupees equivalent to 0.57% of the country's daily GDP. In a country with almost zero growth, 
um, affecting half a percent of your daily GDP just by turning off the internet is a terrible, terrible yeah. proposition. Absolutely. And so these are the things that need to be stated on record, right? That kind of, uh, and this is something that they're well-placed to do and they should do, and they should find the collective voice. Um, and that, because, you know, even when you're looking to build a case before court, um, nobody wants to step forward to bring about a business argument. But we've seen that it's worked very effectively when it was about TikTok and the petition before the Islamabad High Court and also the right to do business and right to earn angle. So this is something that they will have to make those connections. You will have to say, where does Pakistan, uh, where is it on the global map? But then what is happening as a result of these policies? And how is it setting you back as a company, as an individual, et cetera, and all of those things? I would urge uh, for them to put out those numbers, to put out those stories, et cetera. Um, so that that also counters this entire shaitani media and you know everything's obscene and everything's about harm. Yes, there is that aspect as well. But we know, we don't see that effectively countered as, uh, at all. So citizen harm is not countered when we know that, right? And the other thing we've seen is the same Shaitani media or social media. Um, there's been a lot of investment by the state to use this to spread their own disinformation and propaganda and to use it to target uh, dissidents. So there's that aspect of it as well. Um, so it's convenient when you want to use it for your own purposes, but when somebody else is using it um, to counter that, obviously then it's no longer uh, utility and you want to prevent that and which is why we see these blockades, right? So there has to be, and unfortunately, I mean, you ask going forward, I do see some of the initial proposals being brought back, um, um, probably more draconian measures and this practice of ad hoc arbitrary suspensions and blockades and bans to continue. So where does that leave us with losing more GDP, um, an industry that will continue suffering, citizens' voices, um, political parties will also be affected because they harness this. Um, and so again, you know, when we conflate that, oh, but there should be responsibility, yes, I'm all for responsibility uh, when, you know, you use social media, but it's not a binary the way it's presented to us. It's an either or. Either do this or we shut it down. That's not how it works, right? And it can't work this way. And the harm, uh, the others are using it for to propel as much harm as well. So you can't just say, because this happens, you need to shut the entire thing down or regulate it excessively. And if anything, um, the cybercrime law was enacted to supposedly um, counter this harm, right? In eight years of this law, we've seen that's not happened. Uh, but you've you know done a lot more harm. So just introducing legislation, just introducing regulation is not going to curtail the harm because also you don't approach it with any sense of rationality, with any sense of the medium that you're seeking to regulate. It's a very TV PEMRA mindset that um, which we operate with when it comes to social media, whereas social media is a completely different uh, ball game. And unless we can rewire and rethink and actually allow for rational debate, um, we're just going to see this rhetoric channeled to, uh, you know, uh, achieve certain political narrow aims, which we're all going to be held hostage to the way we are. Yeah, we're definitely uh, being held hostage to that political game. And, and I think you hit on a very, very important point on the Prembra mindset. I think um, it's not just the mindset, as you put it, I would add and elaborate more on that in terms of saying that 
that Pemra mindset is in part responsible for the way in which social media is being used. I think Ali Aftab Saeed on one of his um, video logs uh, made this point saying that if you were providing good quality debate and honest conversations and not controlling the mainstream media the way you actually do, there would be no need for people to go to YouTube to get the scoop of the vloggers. Um, but because you've controlled and undermined mainstream media to such an extent, people know what they're seeing at 8 p.m. on a primetime news talk show is BS. And so they go to YouTube and they go to X or they go to whatever yeah. else they watch to get the news. And that news is uncontrollable because anybody can say anything. There's no editorial control on these vloggers. It's not like they're part of a media organization. Some may be. Um, but most aren't, at least the most, uh, the ones with the most eyeballs are no longer part of that ecosystem. And you yourself have done it by not recognizing that access to credible news and information, even when that credible news and information is critical of the status quo and what it is doing, you consistently undermine that channel. So they flock to somewhere else. Now, if you want to turn off Twitter or X, people will go elsewhere. I already know so many people, and you must have seen this. They're on WhatsApp groups now. Can you control yeah. WhatsApp groups? Maybe you want to block WhatsApp as well, but good luck doing that because the government works on WhatsApp as well. <laughs> Maybe so that's a that's a saving grace for WhatsApp as a channel. Um, but that's what people will do. They'll find something else. You can't you can't turn off things by and and sort of try to uh, address the actual issue by dealing with the symptom. Social media and the conversation on social media is a symptom of the problem. Solve the problem and it'll go away. But that's not what we want to do. Can I also add here, because you brought this up, right? And again, it's not an either or for the state to decide that, well, um, if this was better and we gave you all the freedom and you got all your views, then there's no need for social media. People will pick their mediums. People will pick their channels of information, right? And um, what was the most concerning thing for me uh, is the discourse that took place in the Supreme Court when the sewer motor proceedings were taking place. Um, and this actually came up, right? And there was this from the press associations and from journalists who wanted to make this distinction between vloggers and disowning them as journalists. Um, and they don't realize that what the media went through um, 2018 onwards, what we saw, a lot of mainstream anchors uh, found themselves creating YouTube channels because they had been fired for political reasons, right? Now, just because you may be back in the mainstream because there's been a change of you know faces and whoever is in favor this does not mean that you won't be back there again so yeah. just to diminish this was, a, this was a narrative employed by the so-called mainstream at the time of Pika as well right that social media is unregulated and social media needs to be controlled and you know there's all this um uh, you know incredible information but are we really saying that television has not performed that function or despite regulation television does not uh, do that. Of course it does. We've seen dangerous, you know, uh, campaigns against people um, where it's not just targeted, just a character, blasphemy campaigns, et cetera, all despite the fact that there's PEMRA, there's a code of conduct, it's centralized. So just because, so these are false narratives, right? And I, like I said before, I've said it repeatedly, Pika was a false flag. Um, and also, what with this entire narrative that social media is so unre unregulated, that's completely false. 
Um, a social media is not unregulated. It's just that you're unable to regulate it the way you want to do because you don't even want to understand the medium. So you approach it in this manner. Um, we've had the PTA regime. We have the FIA regime. Just to, So to say that is completely false. And this is the disinformation that's being spread. No, that's a very important point. And on that note, uh, we can wrap up this conversation for you. As always, it's a pleasure talking to you. Keep fighting the good fight. I know there is a community of people in Pakistan that are resisting. The judiciary is trying its best to an extent, and I hope they continue to do that. And I hope that our worst case scenario expectations on more legislation, more curbs uh, is proven wrong. But uh, as you said, I think this is going to take a broader community, uh, including the industry, uh, to step up. Um, and they have in the past, and I hope that they continue to recognize that, uh, you know, there's a broader community and a broader uh, uh, sort of impact at risk here. Um, so with that, thank you for your time. Um, and I will keep in touch. And as things move along, hopefully X is back online, but that's not what we expect. As more legislation comes on, I will bother you once more to be on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you.